The season of Lent remembers the suffering of Jesus. According to the Bible, he fasted for 40 days. And so, for the 40 days before Easter, many Christians give up something dear to them, like chocolate or like alcohol. Many more, though, give up on those promises long before Easter. And it's not just a problem for Christians, of course. Most of us just don't have the self-control, no matter how good our intentions. So why is that? And is there anything we can do about it? Well, Leonard Green has some answers. He's a professor of psychological and brain sciences and also economics at Washington University in St. Louis. And he's been studying this issue. So, Len, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So why do so many of us fail in our promises to, say, give something up for Lent? Well, there, <laughs> there are a multitude of reasons, but certainly um, one would be is we look at the sort of the myopic view. We look at what's going on right now, and if I'm trying to give up cigarettes, say, mm-hmm. well, I can have a cigarette now with that immediate pleasure, or I can live a healthier life, but that's delayed. That's over a longer term. I'm not going to see those results immediately. Well, right. And, and to make it worse, if I give up one cigarette now, that's not leading to a life of non-smoking. I mean, I, I don't get this incredible health better life, a wonderful thing, just because I give up one cigarette. So how do you frame it all in terms of what what we would argue is a pattern of behavior? It's not a cigarette versus good health. It has to be a pattern of non-smoking versus a pattern of smoking. And that's very difficult because you're, you're, you're so focused on the immediate, and the immediate has, as my colleague and I, uh, my colleague Joel Myerson and I have shown that you know, those immediate rewards are just so overvalued in comparison to delayed outcomes. I mean, just hearing you talk about this, I'm thinking, I want to vote for the immediate reward. If it's, oh, I'm one cigarette closer to not smoking again, or I can have the pleasure of a cigarette, I can see why people choose that smoke. Well, there's the uh, great line, presumably, um, by Jonathan Miller, the director, when he was on a DeCavit show where he was smoking and DeCavit uh, was saying, you know, in effect, how could you smoke and all that? And he said, well, you know, smoking may kill me, but this cigarette won't. And I think that's the way we see it, and that that's the problem. Yeah. So how can we get around that? <laughs> Solve this for us, please. <laughs> yes, if only. Um, well, th- I, I think there are a number of things that we can do. Uh, one is I think we have to realize that we can't look at an individual momentary act versus what's down the road a year from now or five years from now. We have to look at that individual act as part of a behavior pattern. Mm -hmm. Another thing, and certainly Lent, I guess, is uh, appropriate for that, is what Howard Racklin a number of years ago did uh, uh, referring to commitment, where I can have the cigarette or not, but how do I give it up? Well, you make a commitment where, say, Lent is approaching, Mm -hmm. and for Lent, I'm going to give up smoking for the 40 days. And you make that commitment sort of like a contract, but it could be a verbal commitment. You make the commitment in advance when you really do want to give up the chocolate, as you said, or the alcohol. But the problem is when 
that chocolate then appears in front of you, you want to eat it. So what you want to do is make the commitment in advance when you really want to do, when you really want to forego the chocolate so that later when now it's, uh uh-oh, it's that next evening and now I want that chocolate, you've made this commitment. Mm -hmm. You mention in front of your family, you're now less likely to to go back on the verbal uh, commitment you've made. So that's helpful. Now, I know you and your colleague at Webster University, that's Professor uh, Jetrin Zhou, mm-hmm. have been working on a project about this. Is that um, part of what you're working on there? Well, the, the project we're working with, uh, with uh, Professor Zhou on has to do with um, uh, individuals who are in distress, for example, mm-hmm. from depression or anxiety, and how that influences their choosing whether to go for the more immediate or uh, to to delay the gratification and go for the long term. So we're we're doing a whole big study looking at individual cases of of depression, anxiety, and how that influences these choices. I imagine that would have a huge influence. You you always need the chocolate or the alcohol when you're under distress. Right. So you know. So how do you approach that? One, the one thing we need to know first is are these major, as you would say, uh, self-control or impulsive decision-making problems? So we first need to see the data if that's true and then move forward with, okay, how might we intervene to make this better? One, one technique for part of this that's been gaining um, currency is, what, is where, you know, if you're given a choice between something now or something better later, it's hard to delay, mm-hmm. and the longer it is, the, the greater the, the difficulty in, in delaying. Um, one technique that seems to work is instead of saying, well, do you want this now, or you can have something better, but it's later, is start thinking about the later and what you would be doing then. How would you use the thing you're thinking about? How would your health be better so that you can actually be playing with your children and not being out of breath? That actually putting these episodic cues to that delayed event seems to help. And so we're thinking that that might well be true with individuals who are feeling uh, depressed, sad, or anxious, to think about the later and what, what you could be doing then and how that might help. Interesting. So you kind of are trying to train your mind to think of things in different ways. Well, I would use different terms, but yes. <laughs> Probably more professional terms. <laughs> no, it's... it's a... Now, we seem to give moral weight to the idea of self-control, and so many of us just grapple with shame when we don't have it. I might be speaking from personal experience here. Do you think that's a mistake? Uh, I, I seriously think that's a mistake. I, I, I should also say that uh, Dr. Morrison and I... Um, don't really like using the term self-control and impulsivity because it typically has an evaluative judgment. Because we it. do feel like this is we we feel moral. that, and we're blamed by others. And I I think it doesn't give um, view to the fact that there are situational cues and constraints which might lead us to choose that smaller reward rather than go what's in our long-term best interest. So I mean, what, what term do you like instead? Well, first of all, I'm not, when we talk about impulsivity or an impulsiveness, um, I'm not sure what we mean. There are, there are different forms. For example, if I can't wait, I can't delay gratification, I'm impulsive. 
Well, but also if I don't take into account risks, hmm. well, now I'm impulsive. Well, if lack of forethought, we say, is impulsive or relevant to this season, um, I can't, uh, th this inability to resist a uh, temptation. Hmm. Well, we refer to all of those as being impulsive or lacking self-control as if they're all the same thing, but they may very well be different and have different causes and different uh, determinations. So to lump them all under self-control or impulsivity, I think, is going to be a problem in the long run in thinking about that and, and being able to intervene and do something about it. Does it help us as individuals if we can better define what our problem is? Well, yes. And I think if, if it's a case of I have trouble delaying, then there are techniques we might use to work on in, in increasing your ability to wait. But if it's a case of risk-taking, then I then that's going to be a different um ball of wax? That doesn't I think that's right. a, that seems like um, the right idiom so, there. So, yes. And, and, and by the way, an individual might have problems with multiple forms of impulsivity. It's not necessarily just one. But, but this issue that somehow self-control is good and impulsivity is bad, I, th I think it does damage to understanding individuals from situations. I mean, your, your previous guests, you know, if you are poor, I can't afford to pay this a monthly amount. Mm -hmm. Well, now we blame these people instead of saying, well, no. I mean, why do we go for payday loans? It's a terrible situation. But rather than claim they lack, such individuals lack self-control and they're impulsive, we have to understand within the, the, the context in which they're living. The and issue might be they just simply don't have money. They right. can't make that bill. Exactly. And now instead of blaming them, it sort of allows us to sort of ignore the, the social structure and the situation, which I think is a failure. It sounds like there's um, there's a way that we can be kind to ourselves and also push ourselves to be better, that we don't have to judge ourselves as failures for letting go of, of the promises we've made or the, the better habits we're trying to have, um, but that maybe it's not going to be easy. So what are what is some advice you'd give to somebody who's setting out to, say, quit smoking? Well, yeah, there are a number of things. One is I, I would tell them to speak to people who are close to them, as, as Dr. Joe has, has said when I was speaking with her, that, that think of the people you love, talk to them, talk to them about what's important to them and to you. I think that is more likely to help you say, okay, I need to give up smoking because of these individuals who are important to my life. Okay. I think you need to put it in terms of your pattern of behavior. Don't think of it as an individual cigarette, but it's smoking a pack a day versus not smoking uh, later. I think you need to make these commitments in which you say, okay, how might I go about reducing my smoking or giving up my smoking so that you're more likely to follow through on it? And I also think you have to realize that, you know, willpower isn't going to do it. Um, and what you should be doing is thinking about your life in the future and what it's going to be like. And I think that might be very helpful. Leonard Green, professor of psychological and brain sciences and economics at Washington University in St. Louis, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.